0: Stop wishing away the present moment. Stop hoping that once this thing happens, everything will click into place. Cause it won't, it never does. Like we're saying the hustle never ends. I love my writer's group. And that was like before I even had made a penny as a writer. If you're not enjoying the becoming, becoming is all there is. That's it. You're always becoming. (laughs)
1: I'm Sharla Lauriston, a stand-up comedian, writer, director, and producer, and this is The Working Writer Podcast, where screenwriters, creatives, and industry insiders share their stories of breaking in in hopes that it helps you along your path. I'm so excited you could join us. If you like what you hear, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Without further ado, let's get to work. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited for you to check out this week's episode with Kate Spurgeon. Kate is a Canadian transplant who YOLO'd her way into the 2016 Warner Brothers Writers' Workshop and then the Writers' Room at American Dad. That's right, Kate said to herself, you only live once and left Canada for Hollywood. If you're listening to this podcast in May or June of 2023, then you're probably well aware that we're a few weeks deep into the Hollywood writer's strike where writers are striking for better pay and better work conditions. So it makes sense that in this episode, Kate and I pretty much go in on the struggle to find work-life balance as TV writers amidst long days, heavy workloads, and the demands of everyday life. I met Kate in the last OG Writer's Room in 2019, and she's such a talented writer that I was surprised to learn that she's a classically trained actor who only started taking writing seriously when she struggled to book gigs as a performer. In this conversation with Kate, we talk about her journey from actor to writer, being a new mom, and finding balance in a demanding job. And before we get into the episode, I also want to let you know that Kate's going to be presenting at our upcoming virtual pitch workshop at the Working Writer School. If you're a screenwriter, then you know that pitching is one of the most important skills you can have. Not only are you pitching the majority of the time in the writer's room, you're pitching yourself in those general meetings, and you're selling a vision when you pitch a TV show. If you want to get your show idea ready to sell, then join me and Kate in our virtual pitch workshop on Tuesday, June 27th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Kate and I will cover how to sell yourself as well as the story, how to reverse engineer a script into a solid pitch, and we'll pitch an original show idea from beginning to end. This event is free for members of The Working Writer School. Limited tickets are available for non-members. You can purchase yours by clicking the link in the description. I hope to see you there. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kate Spurgeon. Check it out. Kate Spurgeon, (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. We are friends in real life, and this is a great way to just catch up and kind of kill two birds with one stone. I hope that's okay with you. I love it. That I'm using our catch up as a podcast. All right, great. (laughs) Enough. (laughs) Witty banter, that's not that witty, Kate. I wanted to start by asking you where are you from? Like tell the audience where you're from, how long have you lived in l a and what made you decide to make the move from where you're from? Great question,
0: Charlotte. I feel like if we were just hanging out, would you be asking me this, or would you absolutely not, and that's why it's a good <laughs> question, yeah. <laughs> Well, I hail from a suburb of Toronto called Scarborough. It was the home of Mike Myers, Jim Carrey, the Bare Naked Ladies, to name a few of the talents that have come out of Scarborough.
1: That's really cool. Hear- Wait, so growing up in Scarborough, did it feel like very possible that you could go to L.A. because you come from a place with all of these iconic, funny people?
0: I mean, not real. I mean, to be honest, Scarborough is kind of like an eastern suburb. Making it sound cooler than it is. It's. I mean, I love Scarborough. Okay. I, I'm very proud to be from there, but those are like the three people that have, <laughs> that have made okay. it. Okay. These are pretty huge people, though. That is true. That is true. And Canadian comedy in general, I will say that there is a sense that Canadians are funny and the whole SCTV thing, like yeah. the Andrea Martins and the, can't think of her name right now, Catherine O'Hara, you know, these are all Toronto ladies and drug candy, all these people. So there is that for sure. There's a heritage of like funny ass people that come from Canada. So that was always in the back of my mind, I guess, but it still felt like a very far away place. It was this mythical land, you know, that I certainly had never been to or really knew many people here. So it felt like a huge move for me to come here when I did 11 years ago. Now, my God. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And being a Canadian too, you have to like go through the 01 process, which is, I won't bore you with this whole visa process where you basically have to say that you have a manager sponsoring you. I mean, I was an actress when I came out originally also. So it's a whole thing. And then you have to get a green card. It's a whole long process. So it was daunting. It was definitely daunting to come here. I will say that. But I did it. I came out and I uh, I nannied for a while to make make ends meet. I auditioned, didn't really have a ton of luck, did improv like everyone does at UCB and started creating my own content because I just got frustrated with opportunities that I was getting and thought I could probably write some cool stuff for myself, which is how it started. And then um, did some stuff with funnier Die and some silly videos. This was before Instagram, if you can imagine, and TikTok. And then it kind of blossomed into full on screenwriting. And I decided to leave the acting behind because I loved the screenwriting so much and had so much more success and fun doing it. I didn't have to worry about what I looked like or how much I weighed or anything like that, which was very liberating. Yeah. So that's sort of a messy way of telling you an answer to your question.
1: Okay. So you gave me the whole, your whole story in a nutshell which is Mm -hmm. awesome. But let's back up a little bit. So you said it was really daunting, you know, the O visa process and all that other stuff to come to LA. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to make the move in the first place?
0: I think I thought I would always regret it. I didn't want to have regrets. I did my undergrad in not acting and poli sci and French at Miguel and a lot of my friends went to law school after uh, my undergrad. And that was definitely a viable option at one point. And I always thought, you know what? I can always go to law school later. <laughs> and I still could, I guess. You know, and that's always a thing. And I just didn't want to be on my deathbed and wonder what if I had gone to LA. Even if I failed, I figured living with regret would have been worse. So that's really what got my ass in gear.
1: So when you basically face death and decided that (laughs) you don't want to be on your deathbed and regret it, what was the first thing that you did? What was the literal process of moving to L.A.?
0: I got a hockey bag. I threw, like, a duvet in there and some underwear and, like, my best jeans. A duvet, girl. (laughs) Yeah, you know, a duvet. I want to be cozy in in my little crappy apartment in Koreatown. You mean a full blanket? Yeah, I think I, I think it was like, like a, a duvet fluff. blanket. Yeah, like a duvet. We call do you guys not call them duvets here?
1: I feel it's a Canadian thing. I think you just mean like a down blanket. Like a comforter. But that just seems like a lot to throw in a big bag. Yeah, you threw a full comforter. That that's yeah. what I'm trying to figure out is that you packed a full comforter <laughs> to come to LA. I needed
0: comfort, Charla. I was a struggling right.
1: actress. I, I was, get it? Yeah. So you were a struggling actress in Canada. Yeah. And then you pack a hockey bag, you're moving to LA. So this is before you have to do the O visa process. You're just literally coming.
0: I had came once on sort of a fact finding mission. I met with any contact, like a boyfriend of a cousin of my hairdresser, like anyone mm-hmm. who lived out here. Yeah. Not even anyone in the business is anyone. Cause I knew so few people and it was such a foreign world to me. Like my, you know, my parents aren't in the business and I really just was trying to figure out how people did it and how I could do it. And so I did one trip like that where I came out and was like, could I do this? And then I got my O one one underway because you needed it. I needed to enter the country. So
1: I had to have that in place before I could come officially and move here. How did you get that? That visa? What did you do? Yeah, to get that visa, because a lot of people from Canada and other countries are trying to come to LA and they they are struggling with the process. And there's no way that I'm asking you this question to like literally break down (laughs) the visa process on this podcast. That's not what it's about, but literally just if you remember what you did to even get the visa process started.
0: Yeah. I contacted a lawyer and back in the day, remember this was 10 years ago, may have changed now. What you needed was you needed like a sponsor. So you had to have a manager, a management company or a production company here. I think at three that would say that you were in attached to a project or like for a manager that you, they were representing you in order to prove that you were a viable person that was going to come here and work and not just like Mm -hmm. suck off the tit of America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I had to do that. Don't suck on (laughs) America. Don't do it. So I had to do that and pay money. Like, you know, I think it cost like $3,000. Like, you, okay. have to, you have to get like a lawyer. and Okay. And then you get here. And for my experience, was I got here and like, couldn't get arrested, couldn't get auditions, couldn't work really
1: <laughs> you know, could not get, get a job in the business to save my life. So. Which is a great transition. You could not get work as an actor. And this that's what true. made you decide to become a writer. What did that process look like? What was the experience of being an actor in L.A.? I mean, you kind of said it, which was that you couldn't get work at all. But did something happen that made you decide to become a writer? Like, was there like one bad experience that was the straw that broke the camel's back?
0: To back up a little bit, I have always written from a from a small child. Like, I'd always written stories. I wrote plays. I would cast myself usually in the lead and boss people around. That was kind of my personality as a young child. And then I always wrote creative Stories in high school. I like won a creative writing award. Like I'd always had the talent to write, but I think because I love performing, that kind of overshadowed the writing. Unfortunately, in my twenties, I look back and I'm like, God damn it! If I'd been writing more in my twenties, where would I be now? But anyway, I think for me, it was just like the sheer frustration of the fact that I felt like I had so much more to give and to say than this career I'd chosen was allowing me to. And my days were being spent like they always say, like look at how you're actually like spending your time and I was spending my time taking care of other people's children and then writing whenever I could write, when the kids were napping, when you know they were at the swimming lesson with my laptop. I was, you know, so I was like, what? I say I'm an actress, but I'm not actually acting. I just was like, this is ridiculous. And I just, I was, to be honest, like depressed and not fulfilled. And I was just like, I don't want to spend another five years on this path. I feel like I am worth more than this. And just for me, that was where I got to. I you know, I got my MFA in theater acting at Penn State, and, and I loved it. I like, really, truly loved it. But what I loved the most about it was the collaborative, creative aspect, storytelling aspect of theater. Like, I loved dramaturgy. I loved analysis. I loved, like, that's where I would get lost in the characterization and the motivation and the point of view of characters. And so I think all that ended up infusing and informing my writing. And so when I actually finally... Came to Jesus and decided to really give it my all. All that stuff mm-hmm. helped me launch myself, and I I look back and there's a lot of luck involved. There was obviously I had great opportunities come my way, but I also had been prepping in a weird way since I was you know a kid, eight, yeah, a kid, and then all my acting training, you know, all the all the stuff that you do in in grad school and all that character work is still something that I I lean on when I'm starting a new project. I think about the character first and the the emotional center that they're coming from.
1: It all sounds like you're very connected to your intuition when it comes to making moves. You know, if somebody is out there and they're wanting to make a move like this, like this kind of life-changing mood, what would you tell them? How does somebody know... When it's time to follow their intuition, basically is the question. Mm. That's a great question.
0: It's funny because it's it's nice of you to say that. I thank you for that perspective. I look back, like I said, at my my life, and as much as I'm like thrilled where I am now, and I'm so proud of myself, and quite pleased with where I've ended up, and where I continue to go, I look back and I think. Oh man! If only I had known myself better. If only I'd had a mentor who could have sat me down at 21 and said, "Kate, you're a good actress. You're pretty good. You know, you might make. You might get in a sitcom. You know, who knows? Whatever. But you have this other skill set that you're neglecting. Like keep like do both. You can do both. Like I think I was so focused on making it as an actress, a serious actor, that I didn't I didn't know that about myself, or I didn't at that time the creative, like the multi hyphenate wasn't as big a deal too. So I guess I should cut myself some slack. Like Phoebe Waller-Bridge didn't exist or she did, but she was also my age in school. I wish I'd known myself better. That being said, for someone who's trying to make this decision, I think all you can do is, this is a old piece of advice people always say, but in five years, like, will you regret not having tried? Like in five years, worst case scenario. You move back to Alabama and you move back to Ohio, you go to law school, you start your family's business. Like you can always do plan B, I guess, is the thing. But you can plan A is something that there is a, a timeline on for some people. Other people start later in life. But if you have that burning fire, go for it. I don't know. Life is short. I think regret is worse than failing, in my opinion. But.
1: It feels like it sounds cliche, but my experience was the exact same. Like, I was in a day job that I just absolutely hated, and my thought was that I would rather fail doing literally anything else than do this every day. I was so unhappy. I was so depressed. For me, it was just a sense of I don't have a choice, really. (laughs) Like, it wasn't so much that I was so like, oh, I have to be a stand-up or a writer. It was that, like, I hate everything else I'm doing so much (laughs) that I would literally rather do any, I would rather just try to do the thing and fail at it, you know, go balls to the walls, give it my best shot, then do this every single day (laughs) and never know if I could taste happiness or touch happiness, taste and touch. Yeah, I feel like it sounds really cliche and it always sounds lame to say, but that's really what it is. It's really just like a, we're Mm -hmm. all aware of the failure rate. At a certain point, there's something that's that you're more afraid of than failing. And it's just that you'll have to live this reality that just doesn't feel genuine and authentic to you. and that And that's really the worst feeling. So I think that's awesome. And you said something that I think is really interesting. Another good friend of mine is, or was a dramatic actor, And he was struggling too He was having a really hard time He'd been in LA For a really long time And he hadn't been able to He'd had a few jobs Here and there But he'd he'd had to Have a A day job For the majority Of the time And I remember Just telling him That he's super talented in, In all these other areas Like he's a super talented DJ And he's a really talented dancer And like all these other things. He's also like a giant nerd. Like he's really good with numbers. And he Mm -hmm. like, he went to school for neuroscience. Like he's just a really smart guy. He just wasn't particularly getting where he wanted to get in this field as an actor. And I remember him saying that if he wanted to, he couldn't split his attention, that he could only focus Mm -hmm. on being a dramatic actor. And I got the sense that it was encouraged. Like his teachers were encouraging him yeah. to really focus and really double down. And I always thought that was such a shame because, of course, it's better to focus and do one thing. Of course. That is not mm-hmm. the the point. The point is that I think that at least the 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 classes that he was in or the teachers that he was around were really not letting him embrace his other talents because I just felt that his other talents were really going to inform his acting. Yeah, He wasn't able to have that experience. So that's really great that you kind of broke away from this mindset that you can only do one thing and that you kind of just went and did your own thing. I want to ask, did you end up, since you did so much schooling for acting, did you end up do any schooling, any like official schooling for writing?
0: I did. I went to UCLA extension program and I took an advanced course on comedy writing. It was like how to write a comedy pilot. And so that's where I really, and then some books that I bought, but that's where I really learned the structure, which was what I needed. Cause I hadn't started really to read scripts, but I hadn't really been exposed to that process before. So that was really helpful. And from that, I met some really cool women in the class who I formed a writer's group with who now actually, I'm not sure. I don't think any of them are writing anymore. Maybe one of them, but at that time, the five of us were all pursuing trying to to start out and uh, we'd meet every week and we'd share scripts. That was really the number one thing that I got out of that class besides the structure were those women, because it was like, that would be one of my number one tips to anyone starting out, which I'm sure you've, you've talked about in your classes having a group of people that keep you accountable and that you can share with and you feel safe with and that you can be creative with, just like the first step, I think, in terms of creating that community of collaboration for yourself when you're first starting out.
1: Absolutely. So what was that like, sharing your first scripts and starting to make this transition?
0: It was exciting. I mean, I loved it. I still get so excited to be in a writer's room. Like, I think it's the you know, actor and me or whatever, but I just, I just love the energy of people coming together to make something and to share creative ideas and to help each other and to brainstorm. So I loved it. We used to meet at a coffee shop on La Brea and I think it was every two weeks because it gave us time to do rewrites and stuff. Yeah. I I had a blast. I, I, that was a really fun time in my life and uh, everything was ahead of me. It's like that, you know, you haven't got in a room yet. You haven't Heaven sold a script, so it was beginning days. It was very fun. And from there, the actually the script that I wrote in that class placed in the Austin Film Festival in the top five comedy pilots that year. It was like 2015, 2016, 2015. And that was a great experience too. Festivals and script competitions are another wonderful tool when you're starting out, I found, just to get a sense of where you're sitting and getting mm-hmm. feedback, constructive feedback, I'm sure. I know you've you've done that path too. It, I just found it, it was something you could access that you didn't, there were no gatekeepers too. Like you could just pay your 50 bucks and I mean, you need to be able to afford the entrance fees. I found it very encouraging, uh, obviously, because I have a place, but I think for people too, it's like Austin has those categories. It's like the top, there's like a second rounder thing and then a first rounder. So you at least know where you're, sitting in terms of the greater population, which can be encouraging if that's your only feedback. If you don't have a manager agent at that point, or you're not getting submitted for shows, it's, I think it's really encouraging for people.
1: That idea of not having any gatekeepers Mm -hmm. was really enticing to me. It's what made me put my stuff up on YouTube when I first started. Yes. You talked about being with this writers group uh, at UCLA as being like one of the most important things that you did when you first started. Do you feel that you kind of like developed a writing process when you were a part of that group? And, and how did your writing process sort of develop?
0: Yeah, I mean, the process that I still use today is pretty basic in terms of the phases, variations on it, depending on the project, I guess, and how inspired I am or how productive. But, you know, the the initial pitch phase or the idea conceptual phase running it by some people seeing if it sounds crazy when you say it out loud and then you know having a trusted person or people in a writer's group that you can kind of bat the idea around with and and see if it has legs and all that and then um, from there going to usually story area outline and then the script the first draft and that That obviously can go from – the process varies depending on the project and, and yeah, how connected you are to it or how easily it comes to you. And the process also varies if you're you're doing your own work or you're working for someone Mm -hmm. else. Because when you're obviously working in a room, every showrunner has their own style or every show has their own set of parameters in terms of the documents that you have to deliver. So I sometimes cheat when I do my own outlines. I'm not as thorough because – I know I have it in my head and I'm, I'm my own showrunner. So I, uh, mm-hmm. I get it, but yeah, I, I guess that's when the, pro- that process, I sort of started to learn that process and I'm trying to think of my first script though. Like, I don't think I did an outline for it. I can't remember. I, I feel like I just wrote it, which is crazy now, but I, I sort of had a sense of like my act breaks. And then I just like, felt my way through it, which some people do too. I know, you know, I'd ha- w- what's your process? Is it, is it no? A that was, that? that
1: was my, I mean, when I first started, that was my first script. I just wrote it out. I didn't write an outline. I didn't do any kind of real beat sheet. I kind of just, just wrote it. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of felt out the act breaks and, yeah. and that was really it. And now I'm much more structured. Now I'm, there's definitely a beat sheet phase, definitely an outline phase than the actual script phase. And I find that I'm still developing my writing process because I feel like I usually will have an idea for a show and I'll start writing out the pitch document. And then while I'm writing out the pitch document, there's so much information that I need that I start writing the script because I feel like writing the script tells me the voices. It tells me everything that I need to know about and whether or not if my ideas are working in the script. So I feel like I'm still kind of like developing my process. And I would say that there's still no real timeline for me when I'm working on my own projects. What I mean by that is that like, something could take me like three months or something could take me like a year. And if, and I kind of have to just feel my way through it, unless I've told my reps about it and then they're keeping me <laughs> accountable and they're asking me for drafts. So yes. what about you? Is there any kind of timeline for you when it, when you're working on your own project? Yeah, it's a, it's,
0: it's the same. It really depends on whether I'm working on a show at the time. And if I I'm being held accountable. Like I was working on a show that we're just finishing up pitching now and I have a writing partner on that one. And that really helps obviously, because if you tell someone else you're going to get something done by Friday and it's not done, they're like, Hey, did you get it done? As opposed to your own bullshit excuses in your mind. That's interesting what you said about the pitch pitch and pilot tandem writing. I find that really helpful too. And I've done that a few times with pitches where so the first thing I sold, I did that. And I didn't tell anyone I'd written the pilot because I didn't want them to ask to read it, but I had written it so that I I knew the world so innately. And I knew the characters' voices. Like you said, I knew the dynamics. I could see and feel it. And I felt like that really helped me to be so confident when I went into those pitches. And I also think that nowadays people are loving to have finished scripts. They're like, Hey, have you written this? You're like, I, I wrote, I just did a 10 page pitch. No, I haven't written it, but yeah, if you could say, yeah, I have written, and here's the script. Yeah, I've heard that that's a great selling
1: tool these days. Also, that's interesting because you know, just like what two years ago or something was the last time I think I sold something, and the whole advice was, do not have a, don't tell them you have a script. <laughs> they they don't want to know. know you have a script because they want to be able to to influence the writing as much as possible. So I've heard that too. The script, keep it close.
0: Yeah, so it seems like it depends on the
1: buyer. Yeah, it depends on who you're meeting with, who's hearing the pitch. Yeah. But I feel like this is a really great place to take a break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about your new job. You just started working at American Dad, and I want to hear all about it. So let's talk about it when we come back. Sound good. I'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you about TheWorkingWriter.com. It's a resource I created for screenwriters and creative entrepreneurs that includes a blog, a course, and this podcast. Right now, when you sign up for The Mailing List, you'll get my free guide to breaking into television. It's everything I've learned about breaking in, and it's basically what I've said to any writer who's asked to pick my brain over coffee. If you're working on breaking into TV, I hope it gives you some concrete steps to get to the next level in your journey. Go to theworkingwriter.com and sign up for The Mailing List now to download your free guide to breaking into TV. Are you a screenwriter who's feeling stuck or lost or just wanting to take your career to the next level? Then you need to check out The Working Writer School. The Working Writer School is an online course and community I created that trains screenwriters to become creative entrepreneurs who can confidently navigate building a professional network, attract managers and agents, manage their personal finances, pitch a TV show, and consistently produce original work they're proud of. When you join with one of our flexible membership options, you'll get the course, plus live monthly virtual workshops with writers from Portlandia, American Dad, The Last OG, and more. Go to theworkingwriter.com slash school and sign up today to get training, mentorship, and support from a community of writers just like you. Now, back to the episode. So you just started on American Dad. Let me just be real. That's like straight up job security. This show's long running. This is an amazing gig. And I'm super excited for you. What was the interviewing process like for American Dad?
0: Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be on it also. I feel very, very lucky. Well, it was, yeah, it was a Zoom meeting and it was with the showrunners of the show. And it was one meeting. Granted, I do have a good friend that is on the show and has been on the show for four seasons. So I came vouched for and, and all that. So they obviously took her word that I wasn't crazy and a nice person. I haven't, they haven't caught on yet, (laughs) but they will will one day. No, but yeah, it was very, you know, it was a casual conversational meeting and just asking about my work experience. And it was very informal and fun and friendly.
1: Awesome. Mm -hmm. Did you have more than one meeting?
0: No, just one.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. What a dream. So what has the experience of working on American Dad been like?
0: So far, it's been wonderful. So far. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I've never worked in animation before. So, you know, there's a lot to learn in terms of the production process. It's different than live action. And because of COVID, it's changed a lot. A lot of it is now happening all over Zoom. People are recording from their homes, which is great in terms of the easability of that.
1: How is the production process different from live action?
0: Well, I mean, it's broken up into like little chunks in terms of, you know, there's no set to go to obviously. So it's all done by animators and I'm still learning. So I'm by no means an expert yet, but um, it's just the record sessions are like the production that, you know, the acting part of it. So you, you go and you are on a zoom with uh, the voice actors and, you hear their takes and you give notes, like like you might on a set after a scene. But instead of it being a scene, it's line by line. You do the recording, yeah, and then you watch the different phases of the show as it as it comes together. So there's an animatic, which is like black and white. It's almost like watching a run through of a live action show uh, or rehearsal, I guess you call it. And then from there, you give notes, and then there's more refined stages of of each phase of production and you give notes at each stage and there's rewrites as you go. And it just feels very, I think as the show has been going so long and because it's so well run, it just, it's very, very organized. It's just like a train, you know, like it, it just, because there's 22 episodes of season two. So, you know, you got to keep on schedule. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's. It's great. I'm really enjoying sort of learning a new a new world and being in a hard comedy room again. It's fun because the last show I was on was a dramedy, which was mm-hmm. which was great in other ways. But I'm I'm really enjoying being in a room with a lot of very funny people and getting to make jokes on a daily basis.
1: Nice. Mm-hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your little baby. You just had a baby boy, Cal, and I wanted to ask, what has the Process been like for you to basically become a working mom?
0: Yeah, well, it's been interesting. It's really pushed the limits of like what I <laughs> thought I've been, I could be capable of, or what what I have done in my life. This has definitely been the hardest two years almost of my life, but also wonderful. Like, you know, everyone says the hardest thing, but the best thing, and it's true. But especially, I think as a full-time working parent or mom, it's it's hard. It's really hard to leave. Either way, you feel torn because you're with your kid and you're trying to give them your full attention and not be on your phone or checking your emails. And you're like, I'm missing something or I'm letting my boss down or whatever. And then when you're on set, like I was this past summer for 12 hours a day, someone else is raising your kid. So it's, especially because my son was so little, he was only a year this summer. And so I found that really Hard. and we were traveling across country, So he was in another country in Canada, actually, in Nova Scotia, but that was hard on him. And you kind of question yourself. You're like, is this damaging him? Is this, is this bad that he's, you know, away from me for so long? But then on the other hand, I'm like, you need to make money, you need to work. And, and I also want him to grow up and see a role model of a woman who's has a career and is pursuing that career and and loves her career. Uh, yeah. There's a lot, a lot to unpack with that, but it's doable. You need, you need a wonderful partner. Like I have, my husband is an amazing support. We're very privileged to be able to afford childcare and nannies and stuff like that really helps considerably. Or if you have family that can help you out, that's wonderful too, but it's, it's not easy and it's not for everybody. I I think that, you know, a lot of women choose not to have children because they don't want to go through that. And I get that, or they choose to stay home and be a full-time Mother at home and caregiver, and that's amazing too. And by no means do you. I think there's all this pressure now to like do it all and have it all. And I had a moment (laughs) when I was like, having it all doesn't feel so great. (laughs) I didn't think I thought this would feel. I would feel like a superwoman, and I feel like a haggard zombie.
1: So, um, well, there's been a backlash <laughs> to that whole having it all thing. And this is exactly why Yeah, and everybody exactly. was like, fuck, lean in. You need to like lay, even Ali Wong has that great, like, I want to lay down. I don't want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I want to lay down. Yeah. 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 And I think that was that special. She made that joke like after she had her first kid. So it was just like, it's mm-hmm. a lot. What have you been doing to kind of like deal with this transition? Cause it seems like it's kind of tough. It seems tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think
1: I don't know what I've been doing to deal with
0: I was getting through; like, I just got through the first year. The, my my son also didn't sleep. He was a uh, not a great sleeper, so that was a huge factor too. I was not sleeping for like a year, like for longer than two hours. You know, you're functionally insane when you're sleep deprived. So that definitely definitely didn't help. You sleeping now, so that's a wonderful thing. I'm starting to get more sleep. I'm starting to feel more rested. And I guess just like making sure you're not you just have to check in with yourself and and also just ask yourself like what can I do to make this easier? like I a few mm-hmm. times I had to check myself and be like, okay, something has to give here. What can I do? Who can I ask for help? How can I change the situation? you know is there a compromise that can be made? Hopefully, you know you have a boss which I did who is understanding and and can help accommodate your situation a little bit. Cause it is doable. I mean, you see women doing it all the time. A lot of those women are, you know, in charge or very wealthy and they can, you know, have a trailer with a nanny and a baby on set. And that's, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. able to do that. That is one way to do it. Or you hear people like Sarah Pauly who are changing the way things are done and saying, we're doing 10 hour days or eight hour days. That's it. Like I have a family. I want to see them. Sorry. And I, I'm hopeful that I don't know. I, I don't understand sometimes why we have to work twelve hour days. Like I'm just like, yeah. I know it's for for money reasons, but like, can we not change this? Like, who says we have to? Like, she on uh, Women Talking, I just heard a podcast. She and Frances McDormand were like, no, like we're doing eight hour days, and that's it. Like we're going yeah. home to see our kids. So yeah, it's
1: uh, really it's 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 really unfortunate the way that our industry is set up. I only have experience in TV. I've never worked on in features, but the way our industry set up is just the same as other big money industries that kind of require that kind of Mm -hmm. don't allow a lot of like work-life balance. And it does feel like you have to get kind of to the top to dictate your schedule. But I'm really hoping with more women, more mothers, more Mm -hmm. people of color in charge that these things kind of changed or just even just people with different, different cultural backgrounds, different priorities different ways of working and living because I just think that there's just been like a real dominance of just American capitalist kind of work all the time culture in Hollywood. And I do think it's changing slightly, not fast enough, but changing nonetheless because people like us are kind of starting to little by little become, be in charge more and more. But that sounds like it's been super tough And I'm sorry to hear that, Kate. But it also sounds really par for the course, you know. It's and it sounds like you kind of expected it to be tough anyway.
0: Yeah, and I and I feel you know I feel guilty even complaining. Basically, I'm saying you don't uh,
1: regret Cal.
0: (laughs) Oh God, no, Uh, no. Of course, no. I feel guilty even complaining because there were days during that challenging time, and again, I will say like it was mainly the, the lack of sleep that was just making me crazy, but. There were days during that challenging time where I looked around. I was like, man, I'm so lucky. Like, look at me. I'm living my dream. I'm on set producing a television show. I have a beautiful son. I have a wonderful partner. I'm making my living, being creative, working with amazing people. I, I love and respect like this is it. Like, like we're talking about having it all like this. I have it all. It just it is a very fine balance. And it's it's a lot having young, young kids, like infants mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. I think once, you know, even now Cal's almost two, like it would be so much easier because he's so much more self-sufficient. It's just like when you're still breastfeeding or when your child's like, there's bodily biological needs that your child yeah. has that you have to fulfill as a mother that fathers don't just biologically, like it's, yeah. you know, the breast, mm-hmm. breastfeeding for instance. So That is the thing. But again, I don't want to dissuade anyone from doing it because it's totally doable. It's just a question of, it's a hard time. It's challenging.
1: I mean, I don't think you're dissuading anybody. I think you're preparing people and possibly maybe somebody can make a different choice. Maybe... If they hear you talking about your experience and knowing that at this infancy stage, it's really difficult to have a job where you're on set and have an infant, then okay. maybe they won't take that job. Um, maybe they'll look around at their lives. They'll look around at their finances. They'll look at the numbers and see if they make, can make it work to to skip that job, which is always a very difficult thing to do in our industry because there's always a yes. sense of you don't know when the next job is coming, which is absolutely a real pressure and but the more resources that you have to make that decision I think the better and another thing that I think is so interesting is that like whenever moms talk I've literally never heard a mom talk and not talk about guilt like it's it seems like the entire experience is just one of guilt which I think is so bonkers because I was literally on set for a week at Grand Crew, I was on set for one week for my episode, and I was dead. I was dead tired by the end of that week. Like I, I literally was. I needed the entire weekend. I took a sick day the next, the following week because I think I was like working into Wednesday, and like by Wednesday, I was like, I, I can't go. <laughs> I'm I'm so dead tired. I just need a day to just sleep. Yeah, because it was just twelve hour days every day. It was just intense, and it was a lot. I was shadowing a director, and we literally did not sit down. We were just walking, <laughs> talking the entire time, moving from set to set, mm-hmm. doing so many different things. It was absolutely exhausting. I can't imagine doing it with a kid. I got a dog a couple of weeks before <laughs> the, 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 the room ended at Grand Cru. I was like having to find a daycare for him because I, you know, I couldn't w- be with him all day. I can't imagine having a kid in, I mean, I can imagine it, but basically what I'm trying to say is that I wish that moms didn't talk with so much guilt because I just think that it is actually hard. It is literally hard and it's great to be grateful in the midst of it, but it's hard (laughs) and that is just the reality. Yeah.
0: And I'm I'm trying to let go of that guilt.
1: Yeah. Good,
0: because mm-hmm, I don't think it's productive.
1: Yeah, it's not productive. Mm-hmm. You did your, you literally did your best, and also we we genuinely don't have an industry where there are structures across the board for working moms. Like, there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you you have to just be wealthy enough to take time off. Essentially, is what you have to do, or you're lucky enough to be at a job where. You have work-life balance, and that's literally it. That that's just what it is. So it breaks my heart to hear that, but I'm glad that you're past that point and that Cal's he he survived <laughs> you having to breastfeed while on set. What a crazy experience. Do you feel that having a baby has changed you as a writer or as a creative in any way? Absolutely. I mean, I think the whole experience
0: has just made me see life totally differently. Like I, I always, this is so silly, but I always used to cry in movies when I'd see an animal being abused because I, or hurt because I like an animal lover. And I always was like, Oh, what if they're actually hurting the animal? I don't, but now if there's any, if I read anything about a baby or a child, like, of course I always was empathetic to, children getting hurt. I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't. Oh, no, you heard but it here I, first, guys. I, Kate hated
1: babies. I hated babies. Yeah, I love now. dogs.
0: I yeah. hated babies. Mm-hmm. I can't, it's like your brain changes. I mean, they've, I've read all, all this research about how a parent's brain, not just a mother, with father's too, the brain literally changes. The, the way that you feel, the way that you see, the way that you hear the world changes once you have a baby. I can't read stories about Child abuse, I can't, I have to turn it off. Like, I can't even Mm -hmm. stand it. It's just, it's just this weird, it's like a visceral thing where it's, Mm -hmm. I don't don't know, it's, it sounds silly. I mean, that's obviously changed, but yeah, I mean, I birth was super traumatic. My pregnancy was a little touch and go at times. And so that whole life experience has made me think about new, new stories, new characters, new situations. The new thing that I'm working on is all, is all about that very, Dilemma, like can you have it all, and what would you do if you could? And so I really want to dive into those the things that I've lived and the things that I feel like I can write to now, which are a whole new slew of experiences, which is awesome, and I'm very f- grateful for uh, for the ups and downs because it yeah it's broadened my human experience, which is all you can ask for.
1: Yeah. yeah. What has been the most surprising thing about writing for TV? Ooh, good question. Surprising.
0: I mean, I guess it would be <laughs> in some rooms how unproductive it can be at times. Like, it's one of those <laughs> jobs. It's one of those jobs where, like, Isn't if that you crazy? brought. It is. Like, if you yeah. bring your, ch- your kid to work day, it's like if you bring them on the wrong day, they'd come to work and be like, mom, all you did was, like, eat a bunch of snacks isn't it hilarious walk around order lunch and watch youtube videos you don't work mom i'd be like yeah you're right but then other days you just like break a story and it's really fun and easy and and then other days you get stuck and yeah so being a creative i guess for a living is just it's like a weird job job in the sense that like it's not like a normal office job like it's it's no, no two days are the same which is cool i love that part of it yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah. What about Um, you? That's really funny. What's your
1: most surprising thing? Yeah. For me, I think the most surprising thing, and I was literally thinking about my answer as you were answering, I was like, yeah, what is the most surprising thing? And I think it's that the job is a nine to five ultimately. (laughs) And that when you're transitioning from your, whatever you were doing before, there's this like, mystery around writer's rooms as if they're just like the coolest thing. And when you start doing it day in and day out, it's like you are going to work, (laughs) you know, you are there for 12 hours a day. And the best case scenario is that it doesn't feel like a job, but ultimately you, you very much are a freelance writer. You are like fishing and hunting for each job. And each job is kind of you proving yourself for your next job you know so it just always feels like much more like a job than anyone ever described like you still got to get up (laughs) at 10 i mean most rooms start at 10 or at least thank god the rooms that i've started in start at 10 but it's more of a 10 to 6 than a 9 to 5 or 10 to whenever you know hopefully it's a 10 to 6 sometimes it's a 10 10 a.m to whenever but Mm -hmm. yeah that's the most surprising thing is that I had no concept of what uh what being a performer and writer would be like, and then when I started doing it, I was like, oh, this is very much a job. <laughs> yeah, total. And yeah. to
0: piggyback on that, I think for me, the hardest pill to swallow has been that the hustle never stops. Like, yes, it never stops. Like, I always thought, like,
1: oh, <laughs> I love you one- <laughs> said it was a, a hard pill to swallow. It is. A hard pill to swallow. That is true.
0: <laughs> like again and again. Like I'm like yes. oh, once I sell a pilot. Oh, once I get on more than two shows. Oh, once I'm a supervising. No. Like no, you never. No, it does not.
1: No, you're always selling it. Yes, you're always selling. Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. This is how I know that why I understand why people kind of like become what they become when they're writing for TV because. Or any kind of entertainment job. You just kind of have to be so like focused on your next job because you're essentially always hunting all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it does something to your brain. I think it just makes you a little bit like on edge. It does. That's why people start doing all kinds of religions. That's why they go <laughs> they go to like Scientology. They go to like, you know, what's that red bracelet thing that Madonna does? I don't remember what it's called, but I'm just like, oh, every yeah. I've started meditating. You just have to do something. You just have yeah. to believe in something greater because <laughs> all you're doing is hunting all the time. And I think it makes you a little bit intense.
0: Yeah. It's really a free, you're an entrepreneur. Like it's a freelance, yeah, absolutely. it's a freelance life. You co- you also are just have to constantly be churning out content, yeah. which is great, which is great, but if, it's just hard because creativity is finite. It's not like you'd sit down and make yourself come up with a great idea.
1: But I also, I also think because you have to kind of churn out creative ideas as your job. I think it it means that you have to be very very deliberate about protecting your mental space because you just have to have the capacity. I've had times when I didn't realize that, I didn't know what that meant and cuz I didn't know what I what my job was the more I started to understand how important my mental was, the more I started being very, very deliberate about protecting it because I was like, oh, this is literally my asset for my job. Like, if I'm exhausted, <laughs> if I'm dead inside because I'm so tired, then I'm not going to be funny. I'm not going to be useful in a writer's room, and this is just not going to help anybody. So that was real talk. That was real talk. Completely. <laughs> no,
0: and also your confidence, yeah. like, being in a writer's absolutely. room, like, absolutely. Same- the thing that I will say to surprise me was like at other jobs, you can go in and phone it in. You know, if you work Mm -hmm. at an office, send an email, go to the water cooler, like Mm -hmm. talk to Bob about the report. In a writer's room, Bob, goddamn Bob. (laughs) In a writer's room, like sure. You can have a bad day. You can not talk for a couple of days, like with great ideas, but after a certain point, like you need to be pitching ideas. You need to be creating problem solving you need to be jumping in and helping. And, Absolutely. and so you are literally every day you're on, you're on, you're performing, you're on, you have to be on and you, you can't just sit back
1: and not say anything like, uh, so. I mean, you can, but then you might get fired. Yeah. Then you get fired. <laughs> so, if you want to be good at your job. Yeah. And
0: if you are having a bad day where you're in a bad mood or you're feeling insecure, you're feeling depressed or whatever, like you have to leave that behind and go into that room and guns blazing and contribute and be positive and help and create. So that, that part of it, you can't hide, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You really have to. You can't hide the hustle. You got to be present. You got to be present.
1: Mm -hmm. What has helped you the most in your writing?
0: Mm. What has helped me the most? It's going to circle back to what I was talking about in terms of like intuition and knowing myself as a person that got me to this career in the first place. But the more I get clear on what's important to me and the stories I want to tell, the better my writing gets. Everyone says different versions of this, but you know, your voice, people talk about your voice, you know, and how most people <laughs> tell the same story over and over, versions of the same story. And I would say that in my experience that's definitely been true. It's changed, you know, a little bit over the years with the birth of my son, obviously, like I said my point of view shifting, my the themes I want to discuss or the the issues that I have or the things that are important to me are shifting as I get older, but it's always a version of the same drum that I'm beating. And I think the clear that I can get on what that, what that song is, what that story is and who I am, the more honest and authentic and hopefully resonant my writing becomes, I would, I would say that knowing myself.
1: I love that. (laughs) I totally (laughs) co-sign. Absolutely. I co-sign hundred percent. It's really interesting how much, knowing yourself and being willing to write about the kinds of things that you want to write about are the things that kind of shape your voice and shape your work. It's just something that has remained consistent as something that is important is to say something true to you, you know, and it's, again, sounds kind of cliche, but it really Mm -hmm. is what it's about. If there was one thing that you could say to the Kate that made the decision to come to LA at a moment when she needed current Kate the most. What would you say to her? Don't bring the duvet,
0: girl. Leave the duvet.
1: <laughs> I could have told you that. Kate. I was like, "What? You're bringing a duvet?" <laughs> In one hockey bag? And why is it a hockey bag? Like, why don't you have a real luggage? I didn't if have, I could I pay didn't, anything, <laughs> it would be a I didn't get have a, a lot of money. Luggage.
0: And I yeah. was like, this is gonna just my brother's hockey bag will fit all my shit in it. That's hilarious. I think I I mean, again, it's gonna be a cliche. I'm full of them tonight, but I I just think it's like enjoy the process. Even now, I have to remind myself, like, stop like wishing away the present moment. Stop hoping that once this thing happens, everything will click into place. Cause it won't, it never does. Like, why do I think that, like we we're saying the hustle never ends. So if if you're not enjoying, like, like I look back, I actually did, like I said, I enjoy, I love my writer's group like that. And that was like yeah. before, before I even had made a penny as a writer. Yeah. Like if you're not enjoying the becoming Becoming is all there is. That's it. You're always that's becoming. All there is. I love There's that. All, the becoming all.
1: is all there is.
0: <laughs> Who are you, Michelle Obama tonight? Get out. Yeah, of Yeah, I'm kind of channeling it now. Looking back, it's like the misery of my acting career, which it really was for a long time. Yeah, I was so unhappy because I wasn't on the cover of. Us Weekly. And I what, I didn't have a show. And I was, it's like, but the thing that I love the most, the acting was getting tainted because I wasn't getting the thing I thought I should have. So I guess that's what I'd say is like, and I think I did a pretty good job of it intermittently, like enjoy, like the Warner Brothers workshop, which is something I didn't really talk about today. But when I got into that after the Austin Film Festival, that I love that. I met some of my closest mm-hmm. friends in that, in that workshop, I really savored that moment because it felt like I'd made it quote unquote, even though looking back, like, it's like, I was just beginning, but, but it was really fun. It was a fun moment. So just like really celebrate the wins because there's going to be a lot of downtimes and enjoy those wins and just keep checking in with yourself. Like if you're not, if you're not enjoying your life, like what are you doing on a daily basis? Like, are you, are you living the life you want to live day to day. And if not, like what can you change? Because it's, it's one thing to say like, oh, I, I'm an actor, but are are you an actor? Like, are you a writer? Are you writing every day? Are you like, what are you doing with your energy and time every single day? Yeah. And how is that furthering that
1: big dream? I love that how, so much. Yeah. The becoming is all there is. I love that so much. <laughs> I probably stole that from someone. You definitely <laughs> did. It's way too good. <laughs> Didn't come from you. <laughs> but I love that so much because one of the things that I incorporated into the Working Writer School program was mindfulness and meditation. Because mm. I do feel like there is so much of that, because there's so much striving built into our work. Once you start doing it professionally, there is this feeling that nothing is ever really enough, like nowhere is ever yeah. enough. And, it, and, it, and it, I think it can be such a crushing feeling, you know, because you work so hard to get to a certain point and then there's just this feeling of never being able to like actually enjoy wherever that is, then there's this feeling that there's always something better and higher and more. And it's just like, maybe, but right now (laughs) there's this and it will be really, really beneficial to your mental health to just be here in this Mm -hmm. moment and just accept what's going on and live it, it, enjoy it, be there, (laughs) you know? And it's like, you'll get to that next stage at some point And if you appreciate this moment now, then you'll appreciate that moment then. So I love that so much. Thank you so much, Kate Spurgeon, rhymes with virgin and sturgeon, (laughs) for coming on the Working Writer podcast. Uh, You're the best as usual. And um, I'll see you. Peace out. (laughs) It's my pleasure, Charlotte. This has been a blast. What a wonderful conversation with Kate Spurgeon. The becoming is all there is. Truer words have never been spoken. It's such a hard thing to do to focus on the now, the present moment, and appreciate where we are when we're breaking in. But the more time I spent waiting to be in some imagined future, the more I realized I was missing out on what was going on right in front of me. I hope this episode gives you permission, time, and space to savor who you are and where you are right now. There's no way I could do this podcast alone. I'm grateful to have several wonderful people helping me put it together, including Brendan Burns, who did the music for the podcast, our editor, Justin Asher, and I get some additional production support from Maya Raccoll and Nicole Edwards. If you'd like to show your support, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at The Working Writer. Until next time, get out there, get to work. (music) you <music>